Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. If you've ever wanted to know who is in charge of the universe, then today we have the privilege of seeing a vision which was given to John, where the door of heaven is opened and we see into the heavenly control room. Just to let you know that there will be a break in the podcast next week due to uh, me moving house, uh, basically, and then there'll be a little break after Easter as well. And that also means that there is no new content on YouTube at the moment. However, the next series will be on prayer, on the Lord's Prayer happening after Easter. So do make sure you're subscribed if that's interest to you. And the Patreon account is still available if you would like to support Understand the Bible. Thanks so much everyone for joining me. Thanks so much for all your support. God bless and I hope that you enjoy the sermon. So have you ever been in one of those um, establishment, establishment that's so badly run so many things going wrong that you just think, who's running this place? You know, who's in charge here? You know, who, where, where does all of this come from, all of this, you know, this nonsense? Uh, you joke about it. You know, that's, that's where Forty Towers came from. You know, um, uh, John Cleese had been staying in such a terribly run hotel that um, he, he had to base a sitcom on it. But actually, it's quite a serious business, isn't it, in that? Especially if we think about that on a bigger scale and I wonder if maybe you ever think that about what's happening in the world you know you look at some of the things happening in the world and you think well goodness me you know who's in charge here Um, because actually that's that's quite a big thing and maybe even we think that about God sometimes you know you think oh goodness me you know why is all of this happening what's going on is there anyone in charge? And there are people who, who will ask that question. And this passage here from Revelation gives us a glimpse. It gives us a glimpse, if you like, behind, the, behind what's happening in history, into the, if you like, the heavenly control room, to see what's going on there. And I hope it will give us confidence, not just about what's happening in, in the world, but what's happening in our lives. Um, so it begins with, um, after the, the letters, as we've been going through the past few weeks, and uh, John looks, he sees a door standing open in heaven. So can you imagine, you know, if you want to get a glimpse of what's happening there, and, you know, John looked up and he sees this door, this, you know, window into what was going on. And it's a, he's, he was offered a, a, a rare opportunity a gift which I'm sure all of us would jump at, you know, to see what was happening. Uh, A door standing open in heaven. And the voice I'd first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you. Um, Who is the voice that was speaking like a trumpet? Chapter 1 verse 10. uh, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, and, and it finds out that it's Jesus. He's the one who speaks to him and says, come up here, I will show you what must soon take place. So it's a glimpse. It's a a glimpse which John is given a privilege which no one else, as far as we know, has, has been given. And what does John see? It says, verse two, once I was in the spirit, there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. A throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Now, John doesn't describe God. 
he generally avoids um, descriptions of, of what God is like, which is, which is natural because we know that making images is, is wrong. But he says there is a throne and there is someone sitting on it. And I thought that's the first, first bit of good news, isn't it? You know, to think whatever may be happening in the world, there is a throne and there is someone sitting on it. And that's really good news. And round that throne, uh, there is a 24 other thrones and seated on them with 24 elders. What does that mean, the 24 other thrones and the 24 elders? I believe what John is referring to is the, uh, the people of God as a, as, a whole, as a whole people worshipping him. This is not meant to be, if you like, a, um, a literal vision, but this is kind of a, a very highly symbolic vision. And, you know, for example, it talks about the, the rainbow that shone like an emerald, uh, being like an emerald. And of course, rainbows are not made of emeralds, you know, all of that kind of thing. So this is not meant to be something which, which you know, it's not supposed to conjure up an image as such, but we're supposed to look at the, the significance of what's being said. And these 24 elders, you think of the 12 tribes of Israel, you know, you think of the 12 apostles and, you, you know, the, the, the number... I think represents the entire people of God. It's, it's everyone who belongs to the Lord Jesus. And they're dressed in white, they had crowns of gold. Those things are also things which the people of God are described as elsewhere in Revelation. So this is all the people of God uh, worshipping him. And it says, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And this is something which has is often in the Bible associated with God's presence. So for example, in um, Exodus, in the book of Exodus, you may uh, recall the, um, the people of Israel come to the uh, Mount Sinai, where they are given the, uh, the Ten Commandments. And Moses goes up onto the mountain. And it says in the Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. That was the presence of God, signifying the presence of God. So that's what's, what's going on. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of this kind of majesty and power and authority. You know, I think even today, there are seeing a thunderstorm, you know, the lightning, the thunder, you know, there's just nothing like it in nature, is there? It's that, that power and majesty, nothing else is like it. And um, there, before the throne, it says, there were the seven lamps with the seven spirits of God, or the, you know, the Holy Spirit, I think that's just referring to. And in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. A sea of glass, clear as crystal. Now, one of the things, you know, I said about Revelation, for every thing that's mentioned in Revelation, you could find probably two or three Old Testament passages to talk about it, as we've already seen. What is he referring to here? I think he's talking about the temple. Uh, this is uh, Solomon's temple. For example, 1 Kings chapter 7, verses 23 to 26. I'm not going to look up all of these because this would take ages, but I think it's helpful just to have a flavour of 
what John is going on about. 1 Kings 7, and how the Bible kind of fits together. Because that's important, isn't it? Knowing that the Bible sort of fits together. 1 Kings 7, 23 to 20, uh, 26. He made the sea of cast metal, circular in shape, measuring 10 cubits from rim to rim and five cubits high. Um, the sea stood on 12 balls, three facing north and so on. And uh, uh, it, was, um, it was a handbreadth in thickness and its rim was like the rim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It held 2,000 baths. There we go. That was Solomon's temple, held this enormous sea in front of the temple. So what's going on? Why is there a great big sea, as John says, like glass in front of the temple? And why was there one in front of the Old Testament, Solomon's temple? What's going on? The sea in the Bible, again, has this kind of symbolic significance. It's more significant than just, you know, you go down, go down to the beach and have a nice day down by the beach or something. But the sea in those days represented all of the forces of of chaos and the forces of evil in the world. You think about the sea, it's very unpredictable, isn't it? You know, it can be calm one moment and then violent the next. There are many people who've lost their lives to the sea. And this is why it came to represent the forces of evil and the forces of chaos in the world. And you think, who can tame the sea? Who can, who can tame the sea? Who is capable of controlling even all of that, all of the, the forces of chaos and evil in the world? Let me just read you the first bit of Psalm 46. These well-known words, we have them on Remembrance Sunday. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. You know what I love about that psalm? The sea, which is so full of, of violence um, you know, and destruction, becomes in the city of God a stream, a river, which makes glad the city of God. In Revelation, the sea is described as being like glass. Have you ever seen the sea like that? Just, you know, so calm, it looks, it looks glassy. And this is what I think the point is, that it's seeing things from God's perspective. It's seeing that although the, the earth, the things of the events of the earth, it may look chaotic, it may look random, there may be evil in the world. Yet from God's perspective, it's, it's glass. You know, it is, it, everything is, you know, in a sense, under his control. And from his perspective, he see things, sees things very differently to we do. And that's something that we need to, uh, to take on board. And so it moves on. And uh, it says there was, um, round the throne, there were f- these four living creatures and again, um, it's, it's all quite strange imagery, isn't it? You know, the, the first one was like a lion, like an ox, the, the face like a man and a, an eagle and so on. And they have wings and covered with eyes and so on. Now, what's going on here? Why is this all so strange? And again, we could go to various different passages in the Old Testament. But really what 
the, the big picture that John is, is giving us here is that this is all of creation worshipping. This is to represent all of the created order. Every creature, every tree and flower, you know, all of creation is there to give glory to God. As it says, um, for example, in the, in the Psalms, Psalm 19, uh, for example, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Or um, uh, Psalm 104, uh, which says, um, verses 31 and 32. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. So actually saying it's the glory of creation, which is, which is declaring God's holiness. It is declaring the glory of God. That's what creation is doing. All of creation obeys him and worships him. And the response of the, uh, the, the elders, the people of God, the 24 elders, it says, they lay their crowns down and they, uh, and they worship him. They say, you are worthy, our Lord and God. So when the, the, the elders, the people of God, see the creation give glory, and worship God. They fall down before him and worship him. They see the way that the world is proclaiming the glory the, uh, and the holiness of God and they worship him. They lay their crowns on the throne. Uh, they, lay, yeah, they lay their crowns before the throne, it says. They, give, they submit to God. They, they, they voluntarily lay their crowns down before him. There's that humility um, before God and they give glory to him they say you are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being they say you're worthy to receive all the glory and honour and so on because you made the universe it exists uh, because of you and it ex exists for you the whole creation exists to worship you. The universe does have a purpose and a goal, and its purpose is God's. Its purpose, its direction, everything is God's, and it belongs to him, and it, it declares his holiness. So that's what's going on in this passage. Now let's think about what we can learn from this. Uh, what can we take from this, I hope, into the next week? The answer to that question that we started with at the beginning, you know, who's running the show? Who's in charge here? Well, on the scale of the universe, there is only one answer to that question. And that answer is our God, the creator, the one who made everything. All creation proclaims his holiness. And we see that. I think sometimes we get a glimpse of that. You know, if you look out at the, the night sky, and I was seeing something the other day that you know, if you look in just a, a tiny corner of the, the night sky, then every, even that little corner contains, you know, thousands of galaxies. And those galaxies contain thousands of stars and millions of planets and all of those things. You know, it's, it's impossible to comprehend the vastness of the universe and the, the intricacy of even the smallest creature. You know, all of creation proclaims the the glory of God and our response should be worship 
And that's the right thing, to, to look at the world, to look at the creation, and to worship and give glory uh, to God. Now, what does that mean for us, though? Where does that, which parts of, um, particularly in our society, does that contradict? Uh, I think there are a few things, actually, where this is such an important teaching. Let's run through them very briefly. The first thing is this means that we are not the creator. You might think, oh, Phil, that's, that's obvious. You know, we are not the creator. But actually, there are, if you look at a lot of the things that are happening in society today, for example, I think transgender, the, the phenomenon of it, is because people want to create themselves. People don't like the way that they've been made, so they want the power to make themselves. And I think you can see that in a lot of, a lot of ways, that people want to be who they want to be, rather than who God made them to be, and allowing God to actually direct us and our lives. The second thing is that means that we are not in charge, and this is one which is perhaps a difficult lesson for, for us to learn, but it's an important lesson for us to learn, that we are not God, we are not the ones in charge, we need to lay our crowns down before the Lord. And so, for example, this is what it says um, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. To humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, that's a hard thing to do. To humble ourselves and say to God, you know, I know that I'm not God, and I know that you are, and I need to be humble before you. But that is what I believe we are called to do. And we need to remember that God is good. We need to remember that God intends good. He does what is right. He does what is good. He, he does what is best. Just in this passage, we didn't really touch on it, but he says the rainbow that shone like an emerald around the throne. You think of the rainbow, you think of the sign that God gave to Noah. He would never flood the earth again. That he would. It was his covenant between him and the earth and all of the creatures of the earth. God is good. God is good. And you think about how, as we celebrate here, uh, when we take the Lord's Supper together in a, a few minutes' time, you think about, for example, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You remember that the Father did not spare his own son for us. We can trust him. We can humble ourselves before him because he is good. So the question really is, are we prepared, as the Lord Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, to say, your kingdom come, your will be done? Because that's a, that's a hard thing to do, isn't it, really? But actually we know we can trust God because he is good. And we can trust the one who is on the throne. There's a throne and there's someone sitting on it. And he is good and he is sovereign over the events of our lives. He is sovereign over the events of the world. And we can trust him. Now let's pray and ask God for his help in these things. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, there is a throne, that you are sitting on the throne of uh, of the world and of our lives 
And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to always to, to trust you and to know your goodness through all of the ups and downs of life, uh, through everything that's happening in the world. Please help us to know and trust in your infinite goodness and mercy. And we pray, Lord, that many people in our town, across our land, would come to know uh, your goodness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.